The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. All right. Man, the band was rocking. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, man, praise the Lord. Um, just, man, this weekend has been awesome. Uh, been the fireworks and uh, just America and freedom and independence. And, man, I'm just, and then the, the band, I woke up a little sleepy today. We were up late burning some fireworks last night. But, man, I am not sleepy anymore. Uh, so thank you, guys. Uh, I want to be the first to welcome you if this is your first time uh, or you're a guest. I am Shay Haddock. I'm an associate pastor on staff here at the church and thankful to be so. Uh, if you're joining us online or from somewhere else in the, the country or the world, we want to welcome you too. And uh, man, we are, as Sean said, man, we're, we're just going to dump right into the word um, and so Philippians uh, is where we will land. And uh, I'm going to preach through the next, at least the next two weeks, uh, maybe the next three or four, who knows. But uh, our beloved pastor, Jimmy, uh, is with his wife, Abby, and their children down in Oklahoma. And man, they're having a great time. It's kind of an annual trip for them. So um, July 4th, you will see me preaching the word uh, here at the church, as long as the Lord has me here. So um, hope they're enjoying their time in Oklahoma, maybe even watching online. So if not, hopefully they're having fun on the lake or something. But uh, we will be in the book of Philippians, uh, and we will start in chapter 1. Now this... Um, this book it was written by uh, Paul, certainly um, on his second missionary journey, okay? And so upon Paul's first missionary journey, he planted the church at Philippi. And so uh, Paul wrote this letter roughly 11 to 12 years after the church was planted, okay? So this is about an 11-year-old church, um, and Paul absolutely loves the Philippian church. And so, um, man, I, I think we'll, we'll definitely hear that in his heart here. But, man, I have nothing to say to you guys today. Absolutely nothing. I hope the Lord uh, speaks to you. I hope the Lord speaks to me. That's the best thing about preaching. Sometimes I don't know what's coming out of my mouth and trusting in the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times the message that I preach is actually for me and not for you. So, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll uh, dive right in here. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 1, here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So this letter is written to three groups of people. All God's holy people in Christ Jesus, okay? So if you're a Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, man, this letter's for you. Any overseers, right? Those are just uh, shepherds, man, of the flock. If you're a discipleship leader, if you're on staff of the church, if you're leading anybody in any capacity within the context of the church, man, this letter's for you. And the deacons. Deacons are just servants, okay? Servants within the church. So if you are a follower of Christ, an overseer, a shepherd of people's lives, or a servant in the kingdom, this letter is for you. Grace and peace to you, he says, a common greeting from the Apostle Paul. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I like that, man. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I, I can't say that <laughs> about all the people in my life. I don't know about you. There's some people in my life 
that I cannot honestly say, I thank God every time I remember you, right? Um, and, uh, but man, like, you know, he says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Like, man, there's some folks uh, in my life that I pray a lot for, but they're not always prayers of joy, right? They're prayers of pain. They're prayers of hurt. They're prayers of concern, right? Um, I'm praying for them because I love them, but the reasons I'm praying for them aren't, exa- aren't, like, aren't exactly joyful, right? Um, whereas in this context, it is joyful. It's almost like me praying for, for Brother Jimmy. It's like, oh, Lord, like, thank you for Jimmy. Like, thank you that he loves the Lord. Thank you that he's helping lead this church. Thank you that he's my best friend. Thank you that he loves his family. Thank you that he's a good neighbor. Thank you that he's a good friend. Thank you that he fixed my trailer lights this week. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's different, right? It's like I'm praying with joy. Like I'm praying because I'm just super excited, right? I'm great. I'm really, truly grateful. And so that is the heart of Paul towards the Philippian church here, right? And so what, what a, a great relationship they have. And he says it's because of your partnership in the gospel. That's why. Like, that's why he's so excited. Like, that's why when I pray about Jimmy, I mean, yeah, I'm grateful that he fixed my trailer lights. Um, But, you know, it's like, man, it's, it's because I know that, like, him and I are working in partnership to share the gospel, it's like my wife, when I pray about my wife and the joy that I have for her, man, it's because I know that she has a heart, the same heart for Jesus that I do, and we want people to come to know the Lord together. And so it's like when I pray for you, when I think about you, I'm filled with joy, not burden, right? Like not concern. It's because of your partnership in the gospel. And I feel the same way about the church. Like I look out and look at my brothers and sisters in Christ, man, and like I pray for you, but when I'm praying for you, it's mostly joy. I'm mostly excited, man, because I see a heart, uh, uh, the heart of our church, the heart of the people of God that want to share in the proclamation of the gospel, right? And so from the first day until now, so from the first day that the, plant, the church was planted until now, like I said, roughly 11 or 12 years. So this is a thriving, consistent church that Paul is celebrating he says, and I'm confident of this in verse 6. Man, this, if you are into underlying promises in your Bible, which is a really good practice, I do it. Um, underline the promise, uh, promises of God everywhere you find them in the Scripture, and it will lift up your soul. This is one of them. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Like, man, what a promise. That may be a familiar verse to you guys, but I want it to soak in. He says that I am confident that God who began a good work in you, he will carry it on. That's a promise. Not might, not maybe, not it's possible. He will carry it on to completion. Not partiality, not not, uh, incomplete, but to completion, the perfect work of God in your life will be complete. And I know that he started it in the fact that you're even sitting in this room or watching online. That's got to be good news for all of us, man. Sometimes we're, we're unsure, like, man, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Like, you know, is, 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 uh, am I on the right track? Like, are you, are you done with me? You know, sometimes we feel like we got dropped in the soup. You know, like my buddy Rich says, if he's watching, he'll, he'll be smiling right now. He always says, God's not going to drop me in the soup, man. I know it. And uh, it's true, right? He's not going to drop you in the soup. And, um, but the, um, 
you know, it, it's clear uh, that the good work had begun in the Philippian church. Um, Paul knew that because he planted it. Like, Paul believed in his heart that he did not labor in vain for the things of God, right? Like, the things that God had Paul do in his life were not in vain. Like, he believed that, man, if the Lord sent him to Philippi to plant a church, that it wasn't for nothing, right? And he knew that the people that showed up at that church and he raised up to lead that church to eventually leave the church into their care was all for, for, for a purpose, right? And... Um, so I wrote down here a, a, a little note or a nugget for you uh, if you want to take some notes is, uh, man, that God doesn't start projects and not finish them, right? So we are all part, uh, we're just all projects that, that, that God loves um, and, and he is not done with them, right? And so uh, Molly and I just bought a new house and we got lots of projects going on. And uh, I've got a lot of projects that I've started uh, that I've not finished yet. And so uh, I was talking to my dad. I'm excited my dad's here this morning. But we were, we were talking, uh, he's up to visit from Dallas. And, and um, one of the things that we were talking about was there's two different kinds of projects, right? There's a project that you want to do out of, uh, you know, the joy of your heart, like you want to fix something or you want to do something or improve something. And then there's a project that you have to do, like out of necessity, right? And they're very different, okay? Um, and so, man, just know that, like, you are not a project that has to get done out of necessity, like, you're a project that God wants to work on. Like, he wants to improve you. He wants to build you up. He wants to um, uh, work on you and I, right? And so that, that's good news uh, to me. Like, Pastor Jimmy just bought a new truck. Uh, he's, been, he's, been, he's been cranking on that old GMC for a long time. And Jimmy loves to work with his hands. Jimmy can fix anything, man. Like, I'm talking, he fix any motor, uh, no matter how bad the condition. But when you have to fix a truck because it's broke down and it's your primary means of transportation, super frustrating, right? But if you like to go out and crank on an old bass boat motor or something just because you want to go fishing, totally different, right? The whole, he's smiling the whole time. Me, I'm not smiling ever. I don't like or know how to fix anything. That's why I call him. Um, but uh, anyway, he says, um, the, what a great promise, though, is that, man, God doesn't um, he, he doesn't stop uh, working, right? And so he doesn't, he doesn't um, his work in you is not incomplete, regardless uh, if you feel like your circumstances uh, or anything in your life are leading you to believe that. It is simply not true. I want to call attention, though, man. He says that he will carry, there's a contingency here, right? There's a contingency. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, man. The day of Jesus Christ, or the day of Christ Jesus, man. So I want to call our attention to the first chapter in Acts. Do me a favor and join me in the first chapter of Acts, would you? First chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 1. I'll give you a second to turn there. And uh, man, we hear that a lot. Like sometimes uh, Christians will say things like, we believe Jesus is coming back. And we do. Um, but like, you know, the, his first coming was obviously when he was born of a virgin and, and raised up under the care of, you know, born of Virgin Mary and under the care of uh, his mother and father there and, and uh, lived his human life and was obviously, you know, lived all, was obedient to the point of death on the cross, right? And then, uh, and, and that was necessary, right? He was the sacrificial lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, right? That's the gospel, but we see here the disciples that were with Jesus 
leading up to his crucifixion are now with him after he's shown himself to them, right? So they're, they're now eyewitness accounts to the resurrected Jesus. And listen, join me in, in Acts 1, verse 6. It says, then they gathered around him, and this is the disciples. This is after Jesus is resurrected, okay? They gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is it, are you going to set your kingdom up on the earth, like the literal reign and rule of Christ on planet earth? Is that going to happen right now? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, right? We know elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus says, even the Son doesn't know when he's going to return, but only the Father, right? The Father will send the Son when, when, at the, the appointed time set by his authority, right? The sovereignty of God at play there. In verse 8, he says, but you will receive power. So he says, don't fear. Like, I, I can't imagine. It would be a little scary. Like, they walk with Jesus. Man, he had, you know, dude, he walked on the water, turned water to wine. I mean, he healed the leper. You know, he, he uh, uh, made the blind see. I mean, he healed lame hands. He did everything, right? He was, he was the God man. And now, he, he, then he died, and then they were sad. And then he shows himself. He has breakfast by the sea, right? He cooks some breakfast for him in his resurrected form. And they're like, oh, my God. You know, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims over to the shore and is like, it's the Lord, right? They're like, it's him. He's resurrected. And, and then all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, I'm about to peace out. I'm about to go to heaven. And they're like, no. You know, they're disappointed. And, uh, but he says, he says to them in verse 8, it's almost like he's saying, just, it'll be okay. Here's what I have planned. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, right? The day of Pentecost, right? When the Spirit of God fell and actually indwelled the believer and empowered them for ministry. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like, you know what's cool? It's like, man, God's still doing that today. Like, I am witnessing to the ends of the earth right now. Like, I am witnessing to the Jerusalem, the, the Samaria, the Judea. Like, and, and we, you know, any time the gospel is proclaimed, it is a fulfillment of this very promise that Jesus said, I will put my spirit in you and empower you for ministry. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. So literally, Jesus said, don't worry, boys. I'm going to fill you with the same spirit that raised me from the dead. The important part of the Trinity, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit of God, I'm gonna put that in you. I am going to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but the Spirit of the Godhead is going to live in you, so don't be concerned. So and he says, uh, after, after he had said this, verse nine, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus literally, whoop, taken up into heaven, right? And it says a cloud hid the presence of Jesus from their sight. We also know in the book of Revelation, it says that the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes back, will be coming through the clouds, right? And how do we know that? The scripture always validates scripture. Listen to what it says here. It says, they, the disciples, were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Yeah, I would be too, right? <laughs> If I saw Jesus literally ascend into heaven, I would be looking rather intently into the sky. And he says, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, uh, presuming, uh, pres presumably uh, angels in, in humanly form, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back. Remember what I said about underlining the promises of God? Will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Man, that is awesome. That is the hope that Paul is talking about here in Philippians 1, right? When he says that he who began a good work in you will complete it until that day. Until the day that Jesus literally comes back through the clouds and appears to you and I as he did to the disciples before he left. Man, that's exciting. He says in verse 7, because of this passion, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. He says, man, I'm not sorry about loving you guys, and I'm not sorry about being passionate about Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way. Paul's confident in what the Lord has on his heart. He says, I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And like the same is true for like you guys, with Jimmy and I. I like, you know, man, you guys share in the grace of God, the good work of God for the kingdom. You guys share in that with us. Whether it's through your prayers, through your finances, through your love, through your, um, your care, through your hospitality, through your support, through your brotherhood, sisterhood, friendship, fellowship, your common worship. Man, like we're all part of like having one faith in the same God for the same gospel, right? It's, it's, um, we, we share in that together. And so God can testify. Man, Paul's so confident in how he feels. He says, you can call God himself as my witness. God can testify how I long for all of you guys with the affection of Christ Jesus. That is, Paul's has the most sacrificial, deepest love for God, which is enabling him to love other people, right? And that's the trick, man. You break the gospel down or you break the call of God down on your life, it's simple, right? Love God, love others, make disciples. It's not a secret, man. That is the scripture, like, you know, that God loves you, that he wants to use you, meaning with others, and it is the gospel that gets it done. I mean, that is uh, the, the sum of the scriptures, right? Um, but you can't love with a fake love, and that's, that's what the world is offering. It's fake, man. It's like you gotta love, you gotta like tolerance is love, you know? It's not. It's so shallow, man. Like, that's the kiddie pool, you know? That's, that's ankle deep. Like, what the, the love that we're talking about is, like, deeper than the ocean, man. It's incomprehensible. The love of God, right? That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. So he, and that's why he says in verse 9, this is my prayer. He's clarifying. This is my prayer that your love, put a box around that, love we're talking about a serious biblical kind of love, not the fake, shallow, kiddie pool world love, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Meaning that if you're gonna have the ability to love God and love people, it's gonna have to have some not backed by knowledge and backed by some insight, okay? Meaning you need to know what the, the word of God, what the truth is about who God is, who you are, and who others are in order for you to effectively love them. Like that's super important. Knowledge and depth of insight. So here's the purpose. 
that you may be able to, this is, he's saying, I want you to love people with knowledge and depth of insight, but the reason is, there's a reason I want you to love them, and here's why. It's to, number one, discern what is best, which we could also say be sincere. Some uh, uh, translations say be sincere, and may be pure and blameless. Why? For the day of Jesus Christ. There it is again. He's saying what we're looking towards is the awesome return of Jesus Christ when he comes back through the clouds and shows himself to us and sets up his kingdom literally and physically for a thousand years on planet earth and we reign and rule and serve with him. What a great and awesome day that will be, right? For those of you that don't know, this is Satan's earth. I mean, once scroll through Facebook and you'll be reminded, okay? But one day Jesus will come back and he will literally reign on planet earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? That's what we are excited about. That's what we're looking forward to. But he says, in order to love people, you must have knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what is best or be sincere and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, right? And pure and blameless could also mean without offense, that you, could be, that you would be sincere, but also without offense, right? Being sincere and without offense are equally important, and they go together. I want you guys to see this. They shouldn't be separated. In the day of Jesus, the tax collectors were sincere, but they were crooked. <laughs> they were robbing people to make a living. They, they, were, they were sincere, but they weren't without offense, right? Whereas uh, the Pharisees as far as the public opinion went, they were without offense, right? They were, they were like totally following the law of God, like about as perfect as you could possibly follow it, right? But they weren't sincere. They didn't love, they didn't love God. They loved the law, right? And so it's, you've got to have both. You've got to be sincere and without offense, okay? And uh, Paul knew the danger of an undiscerning love, Right, man, and this is going to feel heavy to some of you guys, but this, the Lord is—it's in His Word, and He's got me preaching it, so I'm going to obey. Um, the he—he uh, he, he says, you know, he—he he wants them to know. I'm hammering home this idea of what real love looks like, and in the context of the church, right? And so, in order to love God and love others and make disciples, Jesus wants us to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. That is His absolute intended purpose, right? And so, how do we love them? Is it all cakes and roses? Is it all sunshine? No, it's not, man. It's, com it's complicated. It's hard. I mean, anybody of you, any of you that's made disciples knows it's pretty tough. Anybody that's been in my discipleship group knows it's a little tough. But it is good, right? Like, it's a good thing. And listen to what uh, Paul, same author of the Philippians, wrote the book of Corinthians. Turn with me, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, what Paul is both celebrating and clarifying is the Philippians had a great love for one another, right? And that's what Paul's kind of reinforcing. But I, 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 and in my attempt uh, to reinforce this idea of the proper biblical love for others, in, in, especially as it pertains to discipleship, um, I, I wanted to show how Paul um, chastised the Corinthian church for the way in which they were loving, okay? If the Philippian church would be the kind of church that we at OPCC would want to be, 
The Philippian church would be uh, the kind of church that was, was, was full of love, and they loved God with all their heart, but they weren't tolerant of the, of the, the crud, okay? They weren't tolerant of that, and they were okay with it. They were confident in it, right? The Corinthian church, they were jacked up. And that's why Paul was, he was preaching to him. And in this particular case, he is dealing with an incestual relationship in the beginning of this chapter, but it, it's extremely applicable just across the board, right? Incest is just as much of a sin as lying, is just as much as a sin as any other one, right? Okay, so deal, bear with me here. This is what pa Paul's loving the church by writing them a letter, praying for them, laboring for them, caring for them, but he's sincere and without offense as he approaches them. Listen to what he says. He says, I hear, or it's actually reported, that there's sexual immorality among you guys, talking to the Corinthian church, and of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. That must be pretty bad. The pagans were highly tolerable, okay? He says that this was a kind of, of, of crud that was not even tolerant for the pagans, okay? There's some of that going on in the world right now. There's some stuff going on in the world that even the pagans wouldn't tolerate, right? The heathens are saying, what's wrong with that, right? Same thing is going on right now. He said, a man's sleeping with his father's wife. He's just using that as an example, right? And you are proud. That's the problem. You're proud of it. You're celebrating it. It's not the, it's not the actual sin that's really the problem. It's the celebrating of it that is. That's the difference, man. And he's saying, that's not okay. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man that was doing this? Like, shouldn't you have put some distance between you and this guy that was doing this? Like, this is clearly wrong, but yet you're celebrating it. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit, as one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord on the one who's doing this. He's saying, man, I don't even need to be there or see it with my own eyes to know it's wrong. I've already passed judgment. It's wrong. Paul knows what's right and wrong. A believer ought to as well. He says, so when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, not his soul, of the flesh. Don't misinterpret, right? Hand the man over so that his flesh might be destroyed so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. It means, man, let the truth rain down on this guy and let it work itself out. Like, man, God can, a man can only come to know the Lord unless the spirit of the Lord draws him, right? But that man must also be willing to hear from the Lord. Like, he must be willing to receive him and accept him. Like, if, if he's not, he'll never be saved. And, but you can't let that man, in the, in the context of the fellowship, Go on just sinning abundantly and have it celebrated. And you ha we have to be a little more bold, I think, as a church around what we believe is right and wrong, not based on how the world is handling issues of society, but what does the Scripture say about it? That's what's really important. He says your boasting, in verse 6, is not good. It's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough, right? So a little sin, a little a little problem can spoil the whole batch, right? It's true. So we have to be on watch. He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. Does that sound familiar? 
the old is gone away, and behold, the new is at hand, right? You are, those who are in Christ Jesus, who have confessed their sin and been born again by the blood of the Lamb and filled with the Spirit of God are now new creations in Christ. The old is passed away. You are now a new creation, right? So when the, when the old leaven comes up, get it out of there, right? And when we don't have the power to do it ourselves, that's what brothers and sisters are for. We hold each other accountable. That's like in discipleship. And we get that old leaven out of there so that you can have a, a new unleavened batch for the celebration of newness of life. He says that's as you really are. That's who you really are. You're really a new creation in Christ. But you gotta keep the old yeast out of there. Why? For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It's like, Why? Why do we need to live as new creations in Christ? Why do we need to live better lives than what we would hold our own standards to for ourselves? Because Jesus died, that's why. Because he was the God-man, because he gave up everything for you, that's why. As if we needed any more clarity. Therefore, let us keep the festival, like let us celebrate, not with the old bread though, not with the old bread. Like we can't celebrate the sin. We can't celebrate the sin. Um, not with the old bread leavened, with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth, right? The truth in love. Like, the, speak, speak the truth in love, but we also love with truth. Like, it's one and the same. And he says, I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world. Listen to this. It's really important. Who are we to judge as believers? Listen to what God says about this. He says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. He says, in that case, you would have to leave this world. <laughs> Paul's saying, and the Lord is saying to us, what I'm not telling you to do, guys, is to stop hanging out with sinners. That's not what I'm telling you to do. If that was the case, you'd have to leave the world. And that's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to be in the world, but not of the world, right? How do we do that? As the church, man, and I think this is where some of the people have it so screwed up, and that's why I'm preaching about what's right and wrong and trusting in the Holy Spirit, is that, man, we are called to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, we're called to lean on each other, man. It's not the kind of judging that casts people down and he turns, you know, damns them to eternal hell. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about iron sharpening iron. So one man sharpens another. Like, you love each other because you love Christ more and you want to see Jesus in these people and in yourself. That's discipleship. You're giving up your life to make sure that other people know that the sin in your life is not tolerated. Jesus paid for it, but that doesn't mean you should do it, right? It's like 1 John 1, 9. Jesus is faithful to forgive you, and when we confess our sin, right? Praise God. That's the gospel. If we confess, man, if we sin and we tell God we're sorry and we, and we mean it, he's faithful to forgive us every single time, right? That's the good news. But here's the also news. In chapter 2 of 1 John, he preaches about saying, you, it's not necessary to sin, though. <laughs> like, just because Jesus uh, has paid for all of your sin, that doesn't mean it's just okay to keep sinning. Paul hammers that in the book of Romans as well. Like, sinning isn't mandatory for the Christian. It's a byproduct of our sinful nature. But if we're living as new creations in Christ, it ought not to be as so as it used to be. Amen? 
And he says, but I'm writing to you that, in verse 11, to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. The list would go on. He says, don't even eat with these people. Listen, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? We're not called to judge people outside the church. We are not called to judge lost people. They don't know they're lost. We just love them unconditionally. It doesn't mean we're tolerant of the things that they believe in or do, but it means that we love them as if they are people that are oblivious to the truth. But what we, well, listen to this. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. We are to hold each other accountable within the church. Dude, there are people that have burned out of this place super fast as soon as you, you try to lean into their life. It, we're not judging you based on your sin, like casting you down. We're just saying, man, God is holy. You were created as a new creation in Christ. He gave up his life for you, and he called you to be a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Like you were to be a, the, the representation, the best representation of God on planet Earth. And if you're not doing that, you're not walking out the call of God on your life. And we're here to help you, refine you, right? And like gold is refined in the fire. It takes a little heat to, to, to mold and change the shape of something. Man, it, it, if you can't handle that, then you know, you're, you're, not un, you're unwilling to change. And that's what, that's what we see happening um, from time to time. But man, like people need to know, somebody needs to know today I don't even know why I'm preaching on this, trusting in the Lord. Like, dude, you're going to get leaned into. Like, we make disciples around here. Like, we do what Jesus, guess what, man? I hope that my disciples lean into me and say, bro, you need to be practicing what you preach, right? Like, I hope that someone would do that to me as well. And we're, it's not so that we can live perfect lives. That's not it. It's so that we can live lives that reflect Jesus, so that other people might come to know him. That's what's important. Now, he says um, in verse 12, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, so he's imprisoned, has actually served to advance the gospel, right? He, like, he, Paul's saying, man, you guys don't worry when you got trials and stuff in your life. I'm modeling for you that, like, I am literally, he's in prison, awaiting to go be presented before Caesar on trial and likely killed. And he's saying, it's all good. Bros, don't worry. It's good, man. The gospel is being shared. That's what's most important to Paul and should be most important to us. I, like, literally, I was walking through Price Chopper this morning. I went to go to the restroom and grab a bottle of water. Had my mask on. I was walking around, and I was like, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to see, like, this morning, you know? And the Lord was just like, man, I just want people, because, like, this COVID thing's got some people boogered up, and it's got, it had me boogered up, too. But, like, Jesus showed me. He's like, you know what, man? People are so fired up over the COVID stuff, and like whether you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. It's like, dude, it's not about that. If people would be so much more concerned about people's salvation than whether they were wearing a mask or not, this world would be a totally different place. And so, man, that's what, like, that's the heart of God for us, and that's the heart of God for Paul. He's saying, dude, who cares about, you know, we're not saying COVID's not real or that you shouldn't take precaution or any of that. We're just saying that Jesus matters way more. And, and so, like Paul's saying, dude, I would rather not be in prison. 
I would rather not have COVID. I would rather not have to pay taxes. I would rather, there's a lot of things. But who cares, man? The fact that people come to know Jesus through that is way more important. So we need to talk about those things. As a result, it's become clear throughout the entire palace guard. So in prison, to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, they all knew why he was there. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul was living a life that inspired other people to proclaim the gospel without fear. And you know what's awesome about Paul? He didn't need to like, make sure that the, the, the local church was, had everything that he needed. He didn't make sure that he had his, 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 his jeans clean and a nice shirt for Sunday and that the sun was out and that you made bacon and eggs in the morning and that you had pork roast on for dinner and, you know, and that all the stars were aligning so that you can go and follow God. Paul was like, forget that, man. I'm in prison and who gives a squat? I am going to tell everybody in here that God loves them, that I love him, that, he, that there's a plan for them, and that we're all here with purpose. Paul did not wait for all the stars to align in his life to get in the game. And some of you are doing that. You're waiting for everything in your life to get perfect and start following Jesus. Your, your, your thinking is screwed up. Start following Jesus, and then everything else in your life will start to line up. That's how it works. It says, it is true, some people preach out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. So the Paul had some people that were jealous of him and they were competing with him. They, they, they actually wanted Paul to not succeed. And he says, uh, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. There were some other preachers of Paul's day that wanted to see that he struggled. I hope you guys know that is not our intention here whatsoever. We preach Christ out of ambition, not selfish ambition. Ambition's a good thing. We want people to know Jesus. That's why we're sinking money into the place. That's why we're, we're, we preach on Sundays. That's why we do Facebook ads. That's why we invite people. We don't care that people know anything about OPCC. Those are just letters. I don't care if we called our, our church BBZZ. Like, who cares? That's irrelevant to the kingdom of God. But the message and what's going on here and the movement of the spirit of God in the church is important. And so we're willing to invest and we're willing to do things so that people might come. We're not trying to compete with that church across the street or that church over there. Whether they have 200 people or 20,000, we don't care. If God has called them to preach the word and they're doing it authentically, we're their biggest supporters. But we want to be faithful to the people that God has called us to shepherd, right? And so we don't do it out of selfish ambition, but we're not sorry about the ambition that we have as a mission for the call of God. And so he says, but what does it matter? The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because that, I rejoice. Paul's saying, man, at the end of the day, the gospel is what matters. This world is broken, and people are going to fall short, whether it's preachers, pastors, servants, deacons, lay people, lost people. We all fall short, man. Like, I am broken. I'm a sinner. Dude, my life is a mess. I, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean that I'm unqualified to get up here and preach the truth to you guys. The truth of God is working out in my life, and it should be working out in yours. He says, I will continue to rejoice in verse 19, for I know that your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Like he's got confidence that even though there are difficult things going on in his life, it's all gonna work out. And I mean, that's, that's I hope that's encouraging to you guys. It was encouraging to me. Like these are difficult times we're living in. 
It's weird. These are weird times, and they're frustrating times. But man, keep your eyes on the gospel, and it's all going to work out for our deliverance. I believe that. And he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I'm living or dying. And I love that, that like, Sean and I didn't even plan that, but that was literally a verse in one of the songs that we were singing, right? For me to live is Christ, right? For me to live is Christ. Yeah, I'm not, I can't sing, I can't. Um, but, but to die is gain, right? So Paul, and listen to what Paul says, like this is his real struggle. If I'm gonna go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Like he's believing, if I'm alive, God is in me and the kingdom is moving. Like he believes in that. And then he says, yet what should I choose? I don't know, uh, I'm torn between the two. I desire to be, uh, to depart and be with Christ. He's saying, man, I would love to die. That's what he's saying. I would love to die. I'd love to go be with the Lord. He says, it would be better by far. <laughs> like, if we had any doubt, he's like, by a, by a long shot, what I like to say, a country mile, it's better for me to go be with the Lord. But it's more necessary for, for you that I remain in the body. Listen to this, man. Paul says, convinced. I know that I will remain, and this is discipleship. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Like he's saying, man, I'd rather die. No doubt about it, by a country mile, I'd rather be with the Lord. But he's got me here, he's put his spirit in me, and he's put you in my life, and so I'm going to lead you, and I'm gonna help you, and I wanna point you to Jesus so that you can do the exact same thing. That's discipleship, man, it's in every page of the Bible. We can't get around it. It doesn't matter what book we preach out of. Listen to this. Irrelevant of circumstances, okay? Irrelevant of circumstances. This is what God wants us to know, and I'll, I'll, I'll start to land the plane here. And I'll, I'll actually, and we'll invite uh, Brother Sean and, and, and the group up here as I, as I uh, close out. Hearing their awesome music helps me come down. Whatever happens, Paul says, and the Lord would say to us, whatever happens, so, or irrelevant of circumstances, this is a commandment. Conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. It doesn't, does it say be perfect? No. Does it say be sinless? No. It says conduct yourselves in a way uh, or in a manner worthy of the gospel, man. Like, live your life to the point where people can know about God just by watching you, listening to you, spending time with you, even if it's from a distance. People ought to know the gospel is real by your life. That's how you're to live. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving together, listen to this, as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He, this, he's saying, Paul's saying, guys, you're doing so good, but continue to be strong. Like there's gonna be people that oppose you. There's so many views in the world right now, it's sickening. It's like a buffet. Like a lot of times, man, I go to a buffet. I go to like Chinese, man, I like Chinese food. Man, you boys like, I go to Atchison, man. I hit that young dragon. Woo! 
But you know what, man? I go for the same thing every time. It's the truth, right? And all that other stuff. Have you seen the stuff on the cold bar at some of those Asian Chinese food places? Man, they're terrible. I look at that and I'm like, I'm getting sick for sure. No doubt, right? But if I go, man, I get that teriyaki, that fried rice, the crab rangoon. It's the same thing every time, and it works, right? It's the same thing, man. There's so much to offer out there, man. The buffet, the cold bar is wide open in the world, man. There's all sorts of stuff to believe in. But there's no need, man. The old faithful right here, man. It's the teriyaki, the fried rice, and the crab rangoon, man. It works every time. You got to stick to it. And, and um, so, but there's going to be people that oppose you. And so like, man, don't be scared to share what you believe to be true. Do it in love, but be sincere about it, right? Like, don't be scared, man. And he says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. This, man, God did not make Every single vessel on planet earth for salvation. He desires all will be saved, but he knows that not all will be saved. There are wicked people out there. There is wickedness in this world. And it is your willingness to stand up for the truth, to trust in the Lord God, to love others, to make disciples, do what he told you to do. And by that, It'll be a sign to them they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that is by God. We didn't earn our salvation. He gave it to us. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul says, man, ain't no doubt about it. Living for Jesus can be a little difficult. This world is broken. There's all sorts of stuff out there. You, you go and hit that. You go and eat that funny, slimy-looking thing on that, on that ice bar, dude. It ain't, it's not good. You take that, it's going to hurt you. It's not good. He says, since you're going through the same struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. I hope this is a great encouragement to you guys. It was a great encouragement to me reading and studying it as I presented it to you guys. Man, Paul lived in a world full of opposition, full of struggle, full of weird stuff was going on, man. Same exact kind of times that we're living in today. The focus is the gospel. It's simple. The truth is right here in the word of God. Jesus loves you, but he wants to use you. He doesn't want you to be idle. He doesn't want you to be unfruitful. And so that's why he sends people to preach the word to you and to love you and care for you so that the kingdom of God might be advanced, laying up for yourself treasures in heaven that are eternal. Sean's gonna play just a brief word. Man, if you guys need to come to the front, confess some sin maybe. Man, that's a good routine to get in. Just to come up here and say the, tell the Lord that you're sorry. Like, he, man, it, this is the most freeing thing you could do. Tell the Lord you're sorry and let the love of God just reign over you, man. That way you're like, yes, Lord, God, you've forgiven me. Let, get the weight off your shoulders because you got work to do. <laughs> but you can't do it as long as you're weighted down. Maybe you need to come and talk to me. Maybe you want, I want prayer. Man, we're available for that. Take this time, next minute or two, and uh, talk to the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.